not just for us to look at and say, that's nice that they're doing that, but we show those videos to show a number of things. In this case, it's to show that God, while, while a lot of people may have given up on that pastor because of his past, God's still moving and working and can rescue anybody. You may feel like that you have gone so far that there's no way that God can can rescue you, that God can move in you, that God can work in you, but I would encourage you to rethink that. I would encourage you to see these testimonies that are there. Plus, what we also need to remember is sometimes we get into an idea of looking inward and making sure that everything inside is as it should be, and we get so focused on that. I remember John Maxwell a long time ago, he said this, and I don't think it originated with him, but he was the first one I remembered saying this is that your sending capacity means more than your seating capacity. So we want to be reminded that every time we leave here, we're being sent into our mission field with the gospel. Not just our lives, but the content of what we say needs to not only match what the gospel is, but to be ready to share what the gospel is all about. And honestly, what a great segue it is to the sermon for this morning, for the passage, I should say, for the morning. We're going to be in Jude. So if... um, You've been here for the last few weeks. Hopefully you know where Jude is. If not, it's the second to last book of the Bible. It's really tiny, but there's so much in it that we're actually going to go into a fifth Sunday uh, in, uh, as we start October looking at the last two. So Jude, we're going to look at verses 17 to 23. Let's stand together as we read this together. Jude, beginning in verse 17, says this, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. You may be seated. So I am always looking for ways to try to be more productive and uh, and deal with time management uh, issues. Uh, when I first got here, there was a few more people on staff. Uh, now I'm I'm it. I'm the as far as pastors are concerned, full time pastors are concerned. And so because of that, and because of some of the duties and some of the things need to be done, I'm always trying to find ways to make sure that I am managing my time as well as I possibly can. So sometimes I, I, I mean, I've definitely looked to the scriptures, but also I realize that all truth is God's truth. And there's times when you can find, find wonderful things that aren't necessarily scripture, but can really help you moving forward. And so there's a, uh, there's a book that's out called The Bullet Journal Method, and it's a guy named Ryder Carroll who wrote this. And he included this little nugget in there. He says this, if intentionality means acting according to your beliefs... If intentionality means acting according to your beliefs, then the opposite would be operating on autopilot. In other words, do you know why you're doing what you're doing? Okay, so intentionality, like just think about a a boat on the sea. 
If you don't have an engine or a sail or an oar, then you're just going to be drifting wherever the current takes you. And I think some of you may be doing that right now. I don't know all of you that may be doing that. I just know law of averages will bear out. That we're just trying to kind of float and hoping everything works out. But in reality, that's not it. There's an intentionality that we have to have in regards to what God has for us. And that's why he's given us his word to give us that direction, to give us those those sails. And then I was talking to my buddy Al Barrera, who is a good friend of Arapaho Roads. And Al is now on staff at uh, Redemption Hill Church in, it used to be Circle Drive, in uh, Colorado Springs. And so we were talking about just all the things that we were engaged in and just how wonderful it is to be able to serve Jesus. And as I was talking to him, I was reminded by um, something that Teddy Roosevelt said, one of our former presidents. He said, far and away, the best prize that life offers is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. Far and away, the best prize that life offers is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. So when we get to Jude... You may have been reading through all the things that Jude is telling us to do. He's given us a lot of things. He's given us some warnings. In fact, he spent the lion's share of this passage already, or this letter already, warning us about, you know, some things that happened in the Old Testament. I mean, he's a great first-class Old Testament historian. We were going back, and we really dug into it on Wednesday nights, which, again, I would encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. We dig a little deeper into some of the things that may have been left on the cutting room floor for Sunday. Believe it or not, there's more that can be said to, to some of these passages. But he's going back and reminding us of what was going on there. And now he kind of flips the switch. And he's saying, yeah, these guys are doing this, but this is what you need to be doing to make sure you don't fall into that. Because th- there's others that are being intentional about going away from the things of God and promoting self. We have to be ones who are going away from the intention of self and, fo- and promoting the things that belong to Christ. And so that's what Jude is doing here. He didn't just leave with the bad news. Hey, there's bad people out there. Just watch out for the bad people and uh, let's pray and and sing our closing hymn. He He didn't do that. He gives us something to do. And he gives us a way for us to be intentional about this. And so that's where the whole nugget of this is found in the middle of this passage in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So everything that we're going to be talking about is how you are and how you should and how you must keep yourselves in the love of God. So how do we do this? Well, number one, we need to be reminded of what God says. His word. Well, I know the word. I don't need to read the word. I got the word. I've been been in the word my whole life. I mean, I, I pretty much know what it says, right? Well, how often do we have to be reminded that the word doesn't change, but we do over time? And I'm thankful that he is continually, where it talks about the Word, the Word is not dead and inert. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word is living and active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts through everything. I, I was reminded of David Livingston, the, uh, the British missionary, when he was in Africa. He started out with 73 books, 180 pounds worth of stuff, trekking across Africa. After about 300 miles, he saw that that weight of all of this was, was getting to the ones that were helping him out. And so he ended up discarding books, discarding books, discarding books until there was just one book left. Now, you know me, you know us. Would you like to guess which book that was? It was only the Bible. But that was really, for, for him, that was really all. If you, were, if you were just to have one book 
That desert island book, I hope it would be the Bible. Because the Bible is what we know to be the Word of God. But, and there's a lot of layers to the Scriptures as far as the benefits that it has. But in, in this case, Jude is telling us in verse 17, but you must remember, going back to verse 5, he's wanting to remind us. That's, that's what we preachers are. I've said it a thousand times. We preachers are the CROs, the chief reminding officers. That's what we're doing. We're reminding you of what God said and helping you to apply it as you move forward. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus. Now, when the apostles give predictions that are preserved in Scripture, well, that means that it, this is God's Word. And the prediction is, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. I feel like I have to say this every time. I, sometimes I remind you every 10 years, and sometimes I may remind you every 10 minutes. But the, in the last times, that's not talking about this little piece right before Jesus comes back, which we, we hope he will, or we're looking at the world and we're thinking, well, the world is, this is the worst I've ever seen it. Surely Jesus is coming back. That's not what it's talking about when it's talking about the last times or the last days. It is the time between what the theologians call the advents, the first and second coming of Jesus. That's the last days. Because when Jesus came, that was the last piece of history. So when he returns, and one day he will return, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, when he returns, then then that will be it. So between that time, there are going to be those who will be scoffers. And those who are scoffers are those that are mocking. They're mocking and they are deriding, they are making fun, they're dismissive. Oh, Jesus is coming back yeah, right, sure. You guys have been talking about that for 2,000 years. Please. No, he, he, he has promised. And it's interesting, every other promise he's made has come to pass. I don't think he's going to leave that one hanging out to dry. He's going he's gonna to let us know that he's coming back. But there's going to be scoffers that are going to be led rather than by godly passions. We, we are to be led by the passions that God has. We're to beat in rhythm with God's heart. And we're to move in, in the direction and at the speed of God. I love Dave Howarth when he said that. Make sure you're moving at the speed of God. Not too slow, not too fast. Move at the speed of God. And he talks about that there are going to be some who are going to be following their own ungodly passions. And thankfully in verse 19, like any good preacher, he defines what that means. He says here, it is these who cause divisions. Now, whenever there is division in the church between the things of God and the things that are not of God, it causes a bit of turmoil. It causes some unrest. When a church is, is united around Christ and his cause and the, and, the, and the church is seeking his will and his way and going at God's speed, there is a unity that's there. And the devil doesn't like that. And he's going to try to do whatever he can to bring somebody in to, to agitate and to bring some turmoil. I must say, there's times when God needs to agitate us, and that's in a good way. If we're too lethargic about the things of God, then he's going to constantly agitate us to get us back to where we need to be. But if where we are and we're pursuing where we need to be, there's going to be an adversary that's going to come in to try to stir this, stir this up. And that's what these false teachers were doing. They thought they were operating on their own, but they weren't. Anytime anybody comes in that is trying to get you away from the things of God, he is being backed by the adversary the devil. He's being backed by that. And we have, to, we have to own it for what it is. I know we want to be a welcoming church, but we can't welcome that. We're, we're about the truth. And we want to bring you to the truth being used by God to do that. Well, cause divisions, you know, worldly people. 
One commentator said this, it's the life of the natural world and whatever belongs to it, that's what they're after. In contrast to the realm of the experience of those whose characteristic is found in the spirit. Now we can come to church, but Monday through Saturday, we can actually be find ourselves wanting to live life in the natural world and whatever belongs in it. We want to belong, we want to fit in. But now, but Sunday we can get, we try to get our act together for a couple hours. What's Monday through Saturday look like? We're Christians all the time. You are who you are, but you know, we can fake it, but we're Christians, not just during Sunday school and church, we're Christians all the time. And how are we moving forward in that? And it talks about being devoid of the spirit. Well, what does it mean to be in the spirit, we're going to look at that in, in just a moment. But are you being reminded of what God says? I, and I would encourage you to be reminded of what God says every single day. Listen to a sermon online. There is a wealth of podcasts that are out there that will give you some good sermons. That, find, find ways to get into a good book that helps you to understand the word better. Pray the Bible back to God. Do, do whatever you can, but, but get in his word. Slow down. And get into his word and get before him. And we're going to look about, that's what it means. It's going to be part of what it means to keep yourself in the love of God. Are you with me this morning? All right. Number two. When it talks about this, you see, there's, when we get into verse 20, it's talking about building yourselves up in the faith, praying in the spirit. All of those are qualifiers of what it means to keep yourselves in the love of God. So we're going to look at that. The second one is this. Build yourselves up in the faith. But it says even more than that, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. To be holy means to be perfect without any disruption, without any corruption. It means that it is perfect in what it is. So back in verse 3, the key verse of this whole, of this whole letter, contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. The faith, the content of the word, the content of what God has revealed in his word to bring you to where you need to be in Christ, turning from your sin and turning from yourself and being restored in how God originally created humanity to be in fellowship with him through Christ and the bloody cross and the empty tomb. That's what this means. And so while it says in verse 1, that, or I, say, I should say verse 2, that we are called and beloved and kept, he's adding on to it. That which you are kept in, build, your, build upon that. Build yourselves up on that which you have been kept. That's what the false teachers are trying to get away from. When, there's a, a book, and I'm, I'm, I'm teaching an online class at CCU, and there's a, it, it, it's a um, class on biblical interpretation. We're going through a really wonderful book by Duval and Hayes called Grasping God's Word. It's, it's thick, but it, it puts the groceries on the bottom shelf, which I am always grateful for whenever I read a book. And this is what it's saying here. It's like, he's saying this, and, and bear with me on this. The bottom line is that we cannot simply ignore those people living back then and jump directly into what God says to us now. Why not? Again, because the way we listen to God must honor the way God chose to communicate. We should not be so arrogant and prideful as to think that God cared nothing about the original audience, but was merely using them to get a message to us. In other words, sometimes when you read the Bible, the first question that you ask, and it's the wrong question, by the way, but the first question that many ask is, what does this mean to me? And in reality, that's, that's like question three, four, five. 
question number one should be, what does this mean? And a sub-question of that is, what was God trying to say to the original audience? Now, you would do that with any piece of literature, maybe except with the exception of poetry, things along that line. But any literature where it's writing that, it's clear that they're writing to someone about something. Find out what that is. Well, what the false teachers were doing was say, well, I don't care what it means to them, and I only care what, about what it means to me. So that's false teachers, and you're just like, well, that's terrible. But you can be false readers. You can begin to read the Bible and not build yourself up in the most holy faith, but build yourself up in you. And try to appropriate the Bible to make it fit you. And so when we, when we look at this, there's lots of places in the scripture that support the fact that we are to keep building ourselves up in the most holy faith. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ the Lord Jesus, so walk in him. It's not just talking about walk. It's talking about living. Live in him. He goes on, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Rooted, built up, right? The weeds in the yard, the roots are about like that. The sequoias in California, there is a whole mechanism of roots underneath there. And that's what we're supposed to, we are supposed to be so rooted and grounded that nobody would be able to pull us up. That we are still getting our nutrients, getting all that we need, all that we have from him. We are called to be built up in the most holy faith. Where are you building yourself up? Because if you're not building yourself up in the word, the content of the faith, you're not building yourself up in the word, I'm telling you you're being built up in something. You're going to be built up in what other people think of you. You're going to be built up in what you think of you. And then, and how all that's going to look at your grades. If your grades are great, look, I have, boy, the world can't go wrong. And then you have a bad test. Oh, the world's terrible, right? You don't get out and move around and get some sunshine. You stay in your room. Oh, boy, these walls. I remember Billy Martin one time when he was feel, right at the end and he wasn't feeling uh, too terribly well. He's like, these walls are talking to me. And, but, and that can mess with you. If you're sick, boy, that can really make you feel like that nothing's going to get any better, especially if you're really sick. How are you going to get on top of it? You see, there's so much to our bodies and so much to who we are. There are so many things that can make us feel low. And so we think that the answer to getting out of that lowness is, well, it, maybe it'll be medicine. Maybe it'll be academics. Maybe it'll be a better job. Maybe it'll be this. Maybe it'll be that. Maybe if I move to a place that has more, has more of a political feel that, that I like and all that, well, that'll be, but you know what's going to happen? It's that old expression, wherever you go, there you are. You're taking you with them. And that's the common denominator but God has called us and given us a mechanism to be built up in the holy faith. Doesn't mean everything's going to go smooth, but it means that you're going to have an anchor. It means that you're going to be so rooted that when the storms come along, you're like, boy, this is terrible. I don't like this, but I'm glad God's on my side. The tomb's still empty. The cross is still empty. He's still interceding for me. I would like to get out of this. This would be nice. But if we're being built up in the most holy faith, then we have that anchor. The next one is praying in the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I know there's certain denominations that have taken this and had it to mean something like if you're praying in the Holy Spirit, then that means you're, you're, you're praying in, in, in certain giftings and you've got to exhibit all of the giftings that are listed in Scripture. Uh, I, would, I would disagree with that. I think God gives us certain gifts. I don't think He gives us all the gifts. But I think when we look at praying in the Spirit, it's in contrast to what the false teachers were saying. Because if you go back to verse 19, you see that phrase there, they're devoid of the Spirit. That means there's nothing about God, nothing about Christ, nothing about His Word, nothing about His way that's in them. But if we're praying in the Spirit, that means we're praying in accordance to what God has said in His Word. It means praying in the faith that we are called in and beloved in and kept in. It means praying in the faith that we are to contend for. It means praying in the faith in which we're being built up. It means praying in harmony with God's revealed word. You want to know how to pray? Read his word. Because his word will tell you his way. His word will tell you about who he is and what he's done and what he aims to do through you and really what happens if we choose to go the other way. Remember, following their own godly passions in verse 18, but that's not us. We're praying in the Spirit because we're tired of following our own godly passions, and we are tired of other people trying to impose their ungodly passions on us. Do I, can I get a witness? Get, we get tired of that. I want an influence in my life that I know is true and faithful and good and righteous and holy and has my best interest in mind. And my best interest in mind means denying myself so that he will reign full and free. He must increase and I must decrease. And so when we're praying in the spirit, it's a recognition that we don't have the vantage point that, we, that God has. So we, we were in South Dakota, and some of you had, were, had gone to South Dakota recently. I think the Andersons, they're, they're traveling again, seeing family. But the Andersons run up into the Black Hills. Love the Black Hills. I'd never been to South Dakota before. What a treat. I just loved it. Wide open spaces. It was quiet, great. Got to see Mount Rushmore. Got to hang out with my girl. It was great. There's nothing like it. But then we headed over uh, east, and we went to Wall Drug, and that was, that was interesting. And then we went on over, and we hit the Badlands. Now, there's nothing, nothing, nothing as you're driving. And all of a sudden, you see in the distance these, these Badlands coming up. And it looks like, it looks like when you're looking at the, the planet Jupiter and all the, the layers and the levels and the different colors that's there, it's like Jupiter, but someone brought it down to earth and smashed it into the ground. It's great. And so you're, so you're driving up into it and you're, you're looking at it and that's pretty cool. And where we went, there was these rocks that were right up against the road. So we parked and I'm like, well, that, those rocks are really good. And then we walk up into there and then we look around the rocks and it just opens up and we're like, whoa. So I had a better vantage point. Now, I tend to go online and look at YouTube footage when people have the drones and they're putting it over places that we've been. It gives me another vantage point. And there's something about seeing the Badlands from drone footage of a 1,000 feet up, a couple thousand feet up, and you're just looking. And there's another vantage point that I didn't have otherwise. And then if you go the other way and get into the microscopic piece where God is understanding what's making up the rocks on a microscopic level, then you realize, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't have a really good vantage point of the Badlands, although it was fantastic, at all. And it's just like my life. I don't have the full vantage point. There are things that I think I know are going to happen five years from now. No, 
I didn't think, and I've told you this before, I didn't think, you know, 15 years ago I'd be in Colorado. No way did I think I'd be in Colorado, and here we are. We don't know what's going to happen, and God has the, but God has the vantage point. So we pray in the Spirit according to His Word that He is leading us in His way, and that's what we want. If He says yes, then great. If He says no, this is not the way to go, I know He's got my back. If He says wait, then He's going to work the patience out in me, and we need to quit saying, don't ask for patience, because if you ask for patience, God's going to test your patience and all that. That's a good thing. That's a fruit of the Spirit. We need to have patience worked out in us. I know it's funny. It's a great line. It gets a laugh every time. But we've got to really be careful about warning people not to pray for something that God's trying to work in us. We don't want to be working against him. We don't want to be working against that. Romans eight twenty six to 28. This verse has been coming up a lot. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So God is working his will in you. It may be your yes and his yes match up. It may be your yes and his yes doesn't match up. God rounds up. He's working his will in you. But then it goes on, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. So we pray in the Spirit, praying for his good, his good. Even if that good isn't necessarily what we think is good, it's good if he wills it that way. And lastly, lastly, which we may end up bleeding this over into a little bit of next week, but number four, we need to wait on and display the mercy of God. So there's two, pardon me, there's two pieces of mercy that are here in verse 20, verse, last half of verse 21 and in verse 22. It's talking about waiting on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now what's that talking about? Well, that's talking about when Jesus returns. I told you we were going to talk about the return of Christ. But when Jesus returns, then his mercy, it's not, we're going to be brought to him, his kingdom is going to be set up, and we're going to be part of who he is and part of where he's at, not because we deserved it, but because of his grace and mercy. And we're waiting on that. That helps us to be patient with the seeming injustices of the world and the hard things that are happening with us. We know that one day he's going to return and he's going to make everything right. We got to hold on to that. So that's what it means to, to, when it's talking about that. But then it talks about another mercy. That's there. Have mercy on those who doubt. How could you ever doubt? Right? And sometimes we, 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 but we need to be a church where if someone is new in the faith or is struggling in the faith and it's clear they want to pursue everything that Jesus is, but they're struggling in a piece of it, we have a choice about whether we are going to build them up or whether we're going to destroy them. And, and help and have them shipwrecked. Uh, you, you shouldn't. You should never believe. Ever disbelieve. Listen, when God is moving in us, and we have His Word, and we've spent our whole life operating on another quote unquote word, don't you think there's going to be some tension? And 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 Romans at the end of Romans. I mean, I would quote from Romans, but there would be so much to quote from Romans about those that are weaker in the faith. Well, a lot who are in, who are new in the faith are weaker in the faith and they have questions. 
And so the word that's doubt, that is the word doubting is also a word that's disputing. That's, that's another word. And when Michael in verse nine was contending with the devil, that was what was happening there was there was a dispute about what to do with this. But this is a mercy that we who may have settled some things in our lives and in, in accordance with his word, we come alongside those who may not have had that settling take place and we help them. There's a word for that. It's called discipleship. We ought to try it. Because when, when you see this happening, we, we don't automatically with everything that everything clicks in. If you begin to read the scriptures, there are going to, there's still some things in scriptures that I'm just like, I don't understand why he did that. I don't understand why he said that. I still have that. But I've settled some things in my mind to where I know that if God said this and this is way, the way he, he, he works and such, I know enough about his character to trust what he said. But not everybody is quite there. And so do you remember when Jesus went up to this man and there was one time where he was, this, this man was just like, I, I'm having a hard time. I believe. I learned it in the King James, so bear with me. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. What did Jesus say? Well, you doofus, what are you doing? He didn't say that. What did he say? He helped him in his unbelief because he believed, right? Not all doubt is equal. There is doubt that is, that is still grounded in, in faith. You're just trying to get it and trying to understand it with your feeble mind. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And, but there, but there's sometimes where people are doubting and they don't have faith. And even if you answer their question, well, what about this? Well, what about this? And it becomes pretty clear. You're not trying to understand. You're just wanting an argument. And that's where Jesus is talking about. Be careful about the pearls before swine. Be careful about that. Cause some people don't want an answer. Some people just are trying to throw you off rather than to be helped. And you read later on where it talks about have mercy on those who doubt. So let's take it easy on people who want to follow Jesus but are struggling with something. It's going to take time. It's not something you're going to put in a microwave for 30 seconds. You're telling it to hurry up. You know, we do that to our microwaves. Hurry up. Come on. It's a microwave. Instant food, hot. Come on. First world problems. But that's not how it is. Sometimes we need to cook it, crock pot it, let it marinate, take time. And then, and to be able to help them, this is not something that's going to happen immediately. And I want to encourage you, those that are young in the faith, keep plugging. One day the penny will drop, but you have people that are around you that are ready to help you in, in moving forward with that. But it talks about snatching, that uh, save others by snatching them out of the fire. These false teachers that you can tell they're starting to influence them. There's times when there's, there's times when it's okay to be diplomatic and to take your time. And then there's times that are like, nope. Not now. You snatch them out of the fire. And then it talks about save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 talks about bearing one another's burdens, but to be careful lest you too get involved in their sin. That's the MPV version. You'll look it up and you're like, that's not what it says. But that's the idea. Is that if you're trying to help someone out of their sin, then what happens is, is that you can... You can, you can often find yourself getting engaged in that sin. Like if you have somebody that is dealing with pornography, but you yourself have struggled with pornography, I would find someone that has not had that issue. 
because you could find yourself slipping right back into it. Or if you're struggling with alcoholism, you're struggling with drug abuse, and you, you yourself, you could find yourself slipping into that as you're trying to help them. They may pull you in rather than you drag them out. We've got to, be, we've got to have wisdom and discernment on how to do that. But it says hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Well, that's an undergarment, so you get the idea of what that's, what that's all about. It's like we don't want anything to do with anything that will take us away from the things of God. So, as we consider all that Jude has told us this morning, a couple of questions. Are you finding yourself more, are you finding yourself more leaning toward those that are scoffing the things of God, pursuing worldly things, not pursuing the things of God, but you're finding yourself, boy, I'm, I'm all in on pursuing these things. You better be careful. Are you reading the Bible only to find out what it means for you and you may find yourself being a false, maybe not a false teacher, but a false reader? We need to take time to find out. That's why Sunday school and those other classes are so helpful. It'll help you to understand what God was communicating to those folks as he was writing it. Then we can properly apply it to our lives. Are you keeping yourself in the love of God by building yourself up in the most holy faith? Or are you just taking it for granted and just kind of coasting on autopilot? No, there's an intentionality that's there. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Are you praying in the Spirit? Now, sometimes we do flare prayers. We get in trouble. We just shoot a quick gun up to the Lord. That's good too. But are you praying in the Spirit in accordance to His Word? Are you wanting His will in your life? Are you praying for God to bend His will to yours? Then that's a problem. You're not keeping yourself in the love of God. You're wanting God to be kept in the love of you. And that's, that's a problem. Are you waiting for the mercy of the Lord? Are you saying, Lord, hold off. There's some things I want to get accomplished. You know, please, please don't come the night before my honeymoon. Please don't come before I get that job. Please don't come before I, I, I see my team win the Super Bowl. Please don't come. You know, I mean, we, we, we wanted to put things off and God's up there like, I've got my timing. I'm not going to do whatever for a football game, you know. And I know it's tough for us. If you're a Broncos fan, they play back east. I know it's tough sometimes, but, you know, we've got to make sure that we are praying in the Spirit, that we're waiting on the mercy of God, and we're dispensing that mercy to others. As someone has dispensed it to us, how would you like it if everybody treated you all the time in the way that you deserved? Some of you may know who uh, Jim Marshall is. Jim Marshall was a 20-year defensive end for, or defense, yeah, defensive end for the, uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Storied career. Didn't miss a game in 20 years. He was part of the Purple People Eaters. Boy, you got to love those names. They loved that name, by the way. They really didn't love that name. But Jim Marshall is known for one play. So the Vikings were playing the 49ers, and they were, they were, they were kind of, it was a real close game, and um, Billy Kilmer at the time playing wide receiver, was a quarterback later on, but he caught the ball, fumbled it. Jim Marshall picks up the ball, he gets disoriented, and he starts going the wrong way, and he runs 70 plus yards the wrong way for a touchdown. All of his teammates are like, no! turn back and all that but he you know you get athletes focused and all that and when he crosses the goal line he just throws the ball into the thing and somebody tells him 
that replay, now he had 20 years of great play, and he's known by that. And he has people every day remind him of that. How would you like it if someone reminded you of every dumb thing you ever did? Well, some of you have people like that in your lives. Or maybe you have it. You're looking in the mirror. Dumb. Why did I do dumb, dumb, dumb? Mercy. God dispenses his mercy toward us. Let's make sure we're dispensing that mercy toward others. Keeping ourselves in the love of God. So, Father, as we close our time together, I pray that as we keep, as you've called us to keep ourselves in the love of God, we keep ourselves in the love of God because you've kept us. And I pray that as we build ourselves up in you and in the most holy faith, as we pray in the spirit, as we wait on and dispense your mercy, that you would help us to realize all the great things you've accomplished on our behalf. And that Lord, Even if we find ourselves struggling with a piece of the faith, help us, Lord, to keep pursuing you. We may may struggle, but Lord, I thank you that you have placed us in a church where people know what it means to struggle with it and to persevere, and they can come along and help. Lord, we look at the cross. We look at the empty tomb, and we see that you are more than worth it. You've done everything to rescue us from our sin and brokenness. So I pray, Father, if there's anyone here through the preaching of the word and through the praying and through the songs that are sung that they realize they need to come to Christ. May, May this be the morning. Just show off your mercy and your grace and your faithfulness. And Lord, help us to come around those who are already in the faith and those who are new new and not so new in the faith so that we can come alongside and help each other be kept in the love of God. Use us, Father. Help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're getting ready to sing this wonderful old hymn, Whiter Than Snow. God will make us clean. Well, I'm clean enough. He, He can make you clean. And if there's any of you who are struggling with sin, any of you that have never trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, and you want to be rescued from that brokenness and to have the hope of Jesus in this life and in the life to come. Or if you just want to come and just use this as an altar of prayer, let's not go on autopilot anymore. Let's be done with that. Let's have an intentionality to pursue Christ and Him crucified, Christ and Him risen, Christ and Him coming again. Let's stand together as we sing.